Can learning transform your life? This is Impact Learning with Maria Zinedou, a podcast where you will hear personal stories about how we learn, work, and live in the connection economy. Together with her guests, she will teach you to design your learning journey and create the life you want. Hey, it's Maria, and you are listening to Impact Learning. I hope you and your loved ones are all doing well and staying calm, safe, and healthy. Like many of you, I've been observing the massive change that K-12 and higher education have been going through amid the pandemic. I started thinking how easy it is to pay attention only to this aspect of the education evolution because it has affected so many people, it came too fast, and it is on the news every single day. But there is another kind of change that doesn't get as much attention and very rarely do we hear about. I'm talking about the smaller developments that are happening in our classrooms that make education, as we know it, so much better. Today, I want to share the stories of three high school teachers who have been guests on the podcast before. They each have their own journey and teach different subjects from history to English, physics and chemistry. But they also have one thing in common. They want to help their students build skills that are rarely developed through the traditional curriculum or they are developed in ways that the students don't really find engaging. Under their respective circumstances and in their own ways, these three teachers decided to lead initiatives and create new experiences for the students. And in doing so, they expanded or replaced the standard curriculum in their classrooms. Without further ado, let's get to their stories. The first initiative comes from Matt, who has taught high school students U.S. and world history. Matt had a problem. His students were not motivated to learn to write. Listen to the approach he came up with and how that changed the classroom and how the students viewed themselves. I couldn't get kids to write. And I wanted to be the type of history teacher that wasn't just teaching to memorize dates and names. I wanted them to learn about stories and important things, and I wanted them to learn skills. So I was really important that they learned how to write, but I would have them handwrite things in journal, and they hated it. They did not want to do it. So what I did was, when we started using technology, I said, you are no longer students. You're going to be bloggers. And this was, you know, 13 years ago. So we know the importance, Maria, I know we both know the importance of shipping regular work, right? Mm -hmm. So they would do that before I knew this was the thing, you know, that I know now from participating in doing regular work like this. So you're going to, instead of writing, you're going to have your own blog. And instead of just handing me this piece of paper, you're going to be producing writing for all the other kids in your grade and in the school. And it's going to be on the World Wide Web so other people can read it, so your parents can read it, so you can send it to whoever you want. And that shift was incredible. Because instead of writing for one person, they're writing for the world, and they're writing for their peers. So I went from getting two and three lines of not well-thought-out things. I mean, there were people who were writing three, four-page posts who had been writing three lines. And that totally changed my classroom 
And it moved the kids from being consumers primarily to creators and more in charge of their own learning. So that was my first experience with anything. And it wasn't really Google Apps, but we were using, at the time, Blogger to do this. And the key was using a technology tool to actually change the thing we were doing. So it's the, it's the old school important skill of writing, but we were doing it in a different way and the kids had a new identity for what they were doing. Did you have to guide them? Like, did you give them prompts or did they write about anything they wanted to write? So it was a little bit of both. We started out, so especially the ninth graders, they'd have a topic that we would start with, right? And they would all have a different post and they would share it. And the first thing I did is we had a class blog and they would all post long comments. And then, uh, so I taught ninth grade, 10th grade. Somewhere along the lines, I had some students and parents get together and lobby me to create another course where kids who really wanted a third year of me, which why would they want a third? <laughs> but a few of them did. Some of them did. Uh, I said, wow, you guys are back a third time. And we had this honors course that was an elective. And that group, they actually had their own blogs. And so they would start off with topics. We actually would divide up all the different history that we were going to study that year. And they would all pick a section where they would be the main uh, discussion leader for. And then we did uh, kind of a genius hour like a 20% time thing as well, where they would get to select what topic they were really interested in. And they would do a huge, kind of a mega post, super long form content on whatever they were most interested in. So I had a student who was going into fashion design and she did many posts and humongous posts <laughs> on the history of fashion. And so she got to study her passion got to be prepared for what she was wanted to do, and also got this incredible skill and experience in class. I love Matt's story. Students are no longer students. They are bloggers. What I learned from Matt's initiative is that if students don't like one approach, there is always another way that teachers can use to help them learn the skill. So here are a few questions for you to consider. What's one thing you struggle to teach your students because they don't really enjoy the approach you are using? How can you help them develop this essential skill using a different approach that they might like better? And if you don't know what they like, why not asking them? It's probably safe to assume that they are more technologically savvy than most of us are anyway. And if you don't know how to do it, they might even offer to help you with that. If you want to learn more about Matt and the impact he's creating by building meaningful relationships in the classroom and online, you can listen to episode 57. The next initiative comes from Howard, a chemistry and physics teacher in a private high school in New Jersey. Howard wanted his students to build financial skills before becoming adults. And so he asked if he could teach a personal finance course as an elective. Listen to the reason he wanted to teach this course and how his students and their parents responded to that. When I started to get back on my feet financially and I got married again 10 years ago and my wife and I decided to make sure we were going to live our lives without debt, Uh, so we paid off our cars, we paid off the house, we paid off everything. And in that process, as I was doing that, I kept asking them 
you know, because I'm teaching chemistry and physics at this time, and the assistant principal, his name's uh, Howard, I would go to him each year and say, would it be okay if I taught an elective for uh, personal finance? And he, he looked at it, looked, I showed him the curriculum, he said, oh, this is fantastic. So I was there for maybe five years, and the problem is, again, our student body and our uh, how many teachers we have. So at this point in time, I'm the only chemistry teacher. So you now have this this you know spinning of plates to where if if period three not available because I'm teaching this elective, there's no nobody gets to teach chemistry. There isn't anybody else. Once we started to have other teachers come in, science teachers, and there was a little blend where someone could teach physics or biology or chemistry. That's when I got a chance. Howard came to me and said, "He said, hey, guess what." I've arranged a schedule, so if you still want to do that finance class, we can do it. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So when I listened to Dave Ramsey, I, he, he says, you know, all the things he's turned around in his life, and it's been many, many years since he was, you know, financially destitute, but he, his comment is, he said, God makes me teach this stuff now because I've, I've learned from it all. So I say to the kids, same thing, God makes me teach this stuff. One of the things that I love is the curriculum as it was designed for high schools, doesn't mention anything spiritual in it at all, okay? So it could be taught in a you know, secular high school, public high school. Uh, however, since I know Dave Ramsey's background, how he normally teaches it and mentions things, I deliberately put in the spiritual piece because I work in a place where I can. And it is such a benefit to be able to do that and look at some of the things that are in the Torah or other aspects of Judaic study and match them up to what we're learning financially. And for me, it catapults that when I go back to what my mom said, I want to be a teacher. I want to teach at a Jewish place. Oh, and I want them to learn from all my mistakes. And that's what I tell them. I said, you know, look, there's, I have a class of 16 kids. I said, if one of you doesn't repeat what I did, then I've served, I've served you well. You know, you, you, all of you are not going to budget when you're done here. You're, you're, you're going to get credit cards. You're going to be in debt. Some of you will not follow what I'm saying. Okay. What I want you to know is that's okay. If you change your mind and want to follow it, give me a phone call. I'll teach it all back to you again. It's a way I can give back to the community. And it turns out, uh, so the first year I was teaching it, uh, parents would come in and I talked to them and they said, "This, uh, I'm so glad you're doing this. Uh, this is going to be great for my, my son or daughter or whatever. And it just kept going. It got momentum. The, the class is full because there's only one guy to teach it <laughs> again. And I said to, to Howard, I said, listen, I'll teach two sections. You just, you know, I won't be able to teach as much science. So it's up to you, you know, what you, what you want to do, you know, and I, I probably should be careful what I asked for because he might just do it. And I think they eventually would like to make it a required class as part of it's rather than elective. Yeah. If you were asked to choose between teaching, you know, the personal finance course or science, which one would you choose? Personal finance. Yeah. <laughs> and why? So if they're balancing an equation where there's uh, ammonia reacting with oxygen and, and they've got to balance it and figure out how many grams of this or that, they may never use that skill again. I can guarantee you what I teach in, in this personal finance class about budgeting and saving and insurance and taxes, they're going to use all of it. And we have a little joke in the class that when someone says, uh, is there a final exam in the, this class? I said, yes. And it starts when you graduate for the rest of your life. That's the final exam because 
they will use every little bit of piece of this. And the other reason is I would like to, like I said, prevent them from doing some of the same dumb things I did growing up with money. Our family had money. Our family was not in debt, but I was like a child with money all my life until I was probably late 30s, early 40s. What I find fascinating about Howard's initiative is that he wanted to help his students avoid making the financial mistakes he did earlier in his life. So here are a few questions for you. What's one skill that you learned later in life after struggling with it for some time? How can you prevent your students from making the same mistake? Now, with everything that teachers have on their plate, especially these days, I would not suggest to anyone building a course from scratch. But can you find ready-to-use content in audio or video format? It's also worth keeping in mind that Howard shared the idea before he even had the capacity to teach the course. And also it took him quite a bit of time until he was able to actually do it. So patience and persistence pays off. If you want to learn more about Howard and the impact he's creating through his work, you can listen to episode 63. Howard took the long road to become a teacher, and his story might resonate with those of you who are at a crossroad with your career today. The last initiative comes from Dennis, a public school teacher in New York City. Dennis wanted his students to develop media literacy skills, get involved in their communities, and find their voice. Listen to his story and how his initiative got supported and ultimately transformed the English language class curriculum before becoming a much bigger initiative in New York City. Last January, I mean, this past January, January 2019, I started a student newspaper in my English language arts class uh, with my co-teacher, Dawn Hunter, and she was actually my mentor as well, my first year. So an idea would come to me and we would just start riffing almost about the possibilities of what we could do. And uh, the idea that came up to me was that I noticed that so many students don't know what's going on in the local community, nationally, internationally. Uh, So I really wanted to do something that had to do with media literacy. And then that's when I said, you know, why don't we just create a student newspaper? You know, let's let's see what happens when when we develop this. So we developed the unit, we presented it to the students. And really within just days, I saw this, this difference in all of the students. So the class was an ICT class, which means that it had special ed students, it had general education students, it also had ESL students. And by doing this, it got students who were, the ones that were not engaged were engaged like never before. And even my co-teacher, who's been a teacher for many, many years, said, I've, I've never seen this change in students. They, they were really taking this on as their own and taking their learning into their own hands. And so when we published the first issue, my principal actually saw the, of course, saw the issue and saw the, the change in the students, uh, even in some other other classes that she said, going forward, this is going to be the newspaper class. So what are the students learning? 
What other skills are they developing as they are part of the newspaper? There's so many that they're developing everything from traditional skills you expect from an English class. So they're developing their literacy skills, they're developing their research skills, they're developing their writing skills. And even when it comes to the writing skills, they're really developing their voice in their writing, as opposed to the traditional, you know, five paragraph essay or writing to, you know, for a test and things like that. They, they develop how their style of writing is. From those traditional aspects, I mean, I've looked at the the standards, the state standards, and the student newspaper hits every single one of them. In addition to you know their discussion skills, they're they're working together to create a product, and they are naturally speaking to one another. Students who are never speaking to one another are working together, helping each other, editing their newspapers, interviewing authority figures within their within the school, and really not afraid to do it because they had a purpose of what they were doing. So the the traditional skills were definitely something that I saw that they were learning. But then the the other skills that I that I find even more important uh, was that they were learning how to speak up for themselves and to not just be seeking or waiting for their teacher or for a, an authority figure to tell them what to do. So every day they walked into class and they had a purpose. I didn't have to tell them what to do. They knew what they were doing. And it translates very well to the workplace where they know exactly what to do. And in addition, it would be that, you know, if anything happened within the school or there was a policy that was passed in the school or something that happened in the neighborhood or in the nation, they got to speak up about it in in a in a factual way and to me that was the number one skill that they learned was that they finally were learning how to analyze difficult issues and get both sides of the issue and present them and also really feel like they're making a difference which which they did and so for me, the, the number one issue was for them to really find their voice and to really have a voice within the community and, and see the, the difference and the change that they were making. Isn't that a wonderful story? What fascinates me about Dennis' initiative is that he had to identify a completely new way to help his students become active members in their communities while developing basic literacy skills. And by creating and producing their newspaper, the students got to develop a much broader set of professional skills that will help them in their life and career. So here are a few questions for you. Which skills do your students lack or need to strengthen further? The first one that comes to mind is rational thinking to avoid becoming victims of conspiracy theories and the like. And together with that, they need to learn to listen and respect those with different opinions. So what kind of experiential activities could you design in the curriculum to get your students to practice these skills? If you want to learn more about Dennis and his commitment to education, community engagement, and youth leadership development, you can listen to episode 37. You will also learn how Dennis created the non-profit organization called Students Disrupting 
to help other schools in New York City launch their own newspaper. I'm grateful to Matt, Howard, and Dennis for their service as teachers and for joining me on the podcast to share their initiatives with all of you. I hope their stories inspired you as much as they inspired me. And perhaps you will agree that change in education does not have to happen top-down in a big, system-wide way. Change in education sometimes happens easier and faster, one teacher, one initiative, and one classroom at a time. Before I let you go, I want to ask for your help with two things. First, please share this episode with any teachers you know not only to offer them case studies they can learn from to help them make their classrooms better, but most importantly, to give them hope. I can only imagine how many teachers in our classrooms today want to lead a new initiative, but they don't have the time, resources, or support they need to make it happen. I hope these three stories will give them a good reason to be more persistent with their ideas and proposals until they bring them to life. The second thing I need your help with is that I know there are many teachers out there leading great projects in their classrooms beyond the traditional curriculum to help their students build skills and prepare for life and work. If you are one of them or you know a teacher who is, please reach out to connect with me by sending me an email to impactlearningpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear about the impact you are creating and explore the opportunity to highlight your work on the podcast. Thanks for listening. I will be back next week with another episode as I continue to explore the learning and education ecosystem together with my guests who are disrupting how we learn, live and work today and in the future. And if you enjoy listening to Impact Learning, please leave us a review on iTunes to help people like you find this podcast. You can also subscribe and never miss an episode. Take care of yourself and stay healthy. And remember, we can talk about learning, we can design it, or we can do both. This is Impact Learning. I'm your host, Maria Zenidu. Till next time.